Thank you for downloading this sermon from Christ the Word Church. If you would like more information on how Christ the Word is reaching, raising, and teaching generations in Northwest Ohio and Southeast Michigan, please visit us online at ChristTheWord.com. Good morning. It's a pleasure to be with you this morning. You see me, I don't see you, but I'm thinking of you. And it's great to be with you worshiping our great God on Palm Sunday. I wanna thank you for your commitment to prayer. I've seen, Cheryl and I have seen several great answers to prayer in recent days. Our prayers and the prayers of others, one was a, a woman that we're concerned for the health of and uh, we're concerned that she was going to be called into work. We, my wife, Cheryl, prayed with her and uh, that day she got a call from her boss, praise God, saying, we don't need you. We don't want you to take the risk of coming in and working as a nurse. We've seen other great answers to prayer. This is a week of prayer. This is the week in which we're going to fast and ask God to pour out his spirit on us and our nation so that we see the power of Christ. And that power is most evident as people come to new life. We want to see people come to know Jesus. And so Wednesday's the day of fasting. What I encourage you to do is skip dinner on Wednesday and then don't eat breakfast or lunch on Thursday and then we will all come back together on Thursday evening for our Monday Thursday celebration in our own individual homes but with helps that are, that are consistent across our, our congregation. And uh, let's see what God does as we commit ourselves to prayer in this way. I want to thank you for your kindness to me as pastor, man, you are, you are so kind and loving. And I have gotten dozens of get well cards, especially from kids. Look, I just got two this morning. So I'm grateful. Thank you, Ava. Thank you, Ellie. These are beautiful. I'm so grateful for all the cards and I'm grateful to all of you. <laughs> who, who joined that parade that went from, by my house, kind of shocking me on Monday as I was out there thinking I was looking at my daughter-in-law's car to figure out what was the matter with the exhaust. Suddenly there's this, this I thought it was a funeral going by at first and I thought, oh, I'd better be reverent here because there's a funeral. And it turned out it was a parade of people saying happy birthday, so I'm grateful for that. Um, Nathan said that everyone had palms dropped off at their house, but I know one couple that didn't. That's the Hunsickers who lived down by Lima. And uh, the, the, the two young men who were gonna go there did not make it that far. So other than the Hunsickers, I hope everyone got them. And I'm sorry about that, Hunsickers. Well, um, not only did we have two weddings take place this weekend, we had one engagement take place. And I'll leave it to you to find out who that was, all right? Some of you know, but I don't ever give away secrets. And so I'm going to let you figure this out. Would you join me in looking together at God's word? We're looking at Matthew 6, verses 19 through 24. This is a great passage. It's a challenge. It's a great passage. I'm gonna read it. And then what I'm going to do is I'm gonna ask one person in each home and what I'd like is if there are children in the home and the oldest child is capable, for that child to just pray and take a few seconds and ask God to speak to us through his word. So I'm not gonna pray up here. I'm gonna be silent and I'm gonna ask in each home that someone pray that God will speak to us through his word. Now will you stand for the reading of God's word? Matthew 6, 19 through 24. 
Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon. You cannot serve God and wealth. The word of the Lord. And now... Please pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for praying. This is one of those passages in Scripture that many of us have trouble wrapping our heads around. In my life, it's right there with several other passages that I, that I think about and I think, whoa, how on earth can I do that? It's right up there with 1 Corinthians 7, a passage that every time I read it kind of boggles my mind where Paul speaks about the value of being single. We know the Bible speaks about the glory of marriage and children and yet Paul inspired by the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians 7 speaks and says, I wish you were all as I am, that the single person has less cares and is more fully able to serve God. And I read that and I think, could God really want that? I think of uh, the second commandment found in Exodus 20 and also in Deuteronomy 5 where God tells us not only not to worship images, but first tells us not to make images of anything in the heavens above or the earth below. And I go, whoa, how can God require us not to make images? I I get that, do not worship them. But that separate and initial commandment that you're not to even make the images, and I go, whoa, this is one of those. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. Now it's easy to understand Do not store up treasures on earth. It's as easy to understand as don't make images. It's as easy to understand as it's better not to marry. The hard part is not understanding, but doing. And while Paul in 1 Corinthians 7 leaves an out saying that you have to have the calling that he has had to take up the recommendation of singleness, there's no out in this passage. There's no out in Exodus 5. There it's a commandment. Here it's a command of our Savior. It's not a suggestion. Nor is the logic that lies behind the command difficult. The logic is clear. We see the logic. We understand that married people face impediments to their service for God that single people don't. We understand that though marriage and children are blessings, that they can keep us from having the freedom to serve Christ that single people have. And we understand the logic of scripture saying don't make images because we know that the minute we make something and invest ourselves in it and call ourselves the creator of it, we are claiming a power and we are are taking something and investing in it 
our hopes and our thoughts and it becomes more important to us than just a simple image. So we understand that. And we see the logic here of Jesus telling us not to store up treasures for ourselves on earth but to store up treasures in heaven. After all, this is what wise families teach their children to do all the time. They say, delay your gratification. Don't go for the quick and easy thing. Be willing to put it off. Work hard in school. Make sure you work hard so that one day you get the job you want. Don't have fun now, have fun later. Don't waste your money now. Don't spend all your money on trinkets, but save. One day you'll be happy you did. Don't go out on a motorcycle now. You may pay a price by doing that that will, will make all the fun of it disappear quickly. Save your life. You'll be happy you did so when you're older. Don't scar your body. Be careful who you date. Be careful that you, you don't go just for flash. Don't flirt around. Wait for someone serious. So what Jesus is teaching here is plain common sense. But of course, it's not that simple, is it? It's not that simple. We look at this and we have, an, internally, we have a fight. Jesus understands that fight. Jesus is aware of that fight. We say to ourselves, whoa, I, I need things. I have a family. We need food. I need to provide for an education. We, we have to face retirement someday. How are we going to do these things? It's not for nothing that the passage goes on, and we're not reading it today, but it's important to remember that Jesus immediately goes on and says, hey, look, don't you know that God the Father, my Father, understands your needs? He says, isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap, gather into barns. Your heavenly Father feeds them. Then he says, are you not worth much more than they? And who of you by being worried can add a single hour to his life? Why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They don't toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you, not even Solomon in all his glory was clothed like one of these. But if God clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you? You have little faith, don't worry. Don't say, well, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need these things. So Jesus immediately goes and says, God knows your needs. God's providing. He understands that this is difficult. It's difficult as well because we think to ourselves, but, but isn't it true that God often rewards those who seek him with things on earth? And yes, Jesus also says that very quickly. He says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, God's kingdom, God's righteousness, and all these other things will be added to you. So Jesus doesn't say you're going to be leading a life of poverty and penury and, and hopelessness. In fact, the Bible is clear that many of those who sacrifice for God, like Abraham, who leaves his father's household and his land, and goes to the land that God says, I want you to go to, ends up wealthy. Solomon, who says, don't give me anything but wisdom, ends up wealthy. So we understand that God is a generous father, and yet th this passage means something, doesn't it? We have to understand that Jesus is calling us to something here. 
It's not just nothing that he's saying. I have in mind a picture, two pictures actually. One is from my time living in Southern California, but it could be anywhere, it could be here, it could be you, it could be me. It's of a couple, the husband makes good money, he's a professional. The wife is a mother of three, she coordinates the ladies' Bible studies in a fellowship of all Orange County. He's an elder in his church. They would both say that Jesus means everything he says. They would say that every verse in the Bible is inerrant. They would say that the Bible is literal truth. And they would say it as they drive down the road in their matching Cadillacs, both of them every hair in place, dressed impeccably, returning to their sweet home in the hills, which though nice and neat from the outside, no one I knew ever saw the inside of. In a way, it was a perfect life. Both of them the graduates of a premier Christian college and able to provide the best in Christian education for their children. Believers in literal biblical truth, leaders in the Christian community. And yet, and I know by judging others, I am in danger myself. And yet, they seem to me devoid of any sense of self-denial, at least materially, of sacrifice. In fact, I think that as they looked at what they had, they considered their material blessings proof that they were one with God. Now I contrast that picture with two others. One, a pastor, many of you know him, famous, popular, written books, author of books that have sold millions upon millions of copies, and all that money given away and he living on a modest salary. Or my sister-in-law's dad, a man who started a publishing company that is one of the biggest in the United States. And yet, to his death, he lived in a house that put next to mine would look modest, or most of your houses, giving hundreds of millions of dollars away, leaving very little to his family. He and his wife had many children, dozens of grandchildren, but they weren't left the wealth. It was given to charity. Do these words of Jesus mean anything? I'm convinced they do. But what do they mean? If we have to have money, if we have to live in this world, what do they mean for us? How do we live this way? There are five things that I want you to understand at the outset that reveal, I believe, the seriousness and the weight of what Jesus says here. That we can't just dismiss it and say, oh, those are pious words. First, this is the word of God. Obviously, it's the word of God, and God is not given to exaggeration. When God calls us to do something, he expects us to do it. Actually, when God calls us to do something, if we think of the example of the prophet and the king, the prophet said to the king, hit the ground with your arrows, and he did it three times, and the prophet said, God wanted you to do that. You should have done it many times. Now you're only going to have three victories over the Assyrians. God wants you to go beyond what he says. Really, honestly, God wants us to go further. 
God wants us to, to take his word and run with it. So first, this is the word of God, and he doesn't exaggerate. Second, Jesus lived this way. Jesus actually lived in the way that he calls us to in Matthew, in this chapter in particular, with prayer, with giving away, with not storing up the wealth of this world. It was the path of Jesus. Third, it's the word of God. Jesus lived this way. Third, Jesus called his disciples to do this, and they did. They followed him, leaving their nets and everything behind. And when Jesus said, are you two going to leave me? And they said, Lord, who would we turn to? We've left everything for you. You alone have the word of life. That was true. They had left everything for Jesus. Fourth, this is the word of God. Jesus lived this way. Third, Jesus called his disciples to this, and they followed. Fourth, when Jesus called people to live this way, and they refused, Jesus let them go. One of the most sobering stories in the Bible is of the rich young ruler who came to Jesus and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, well, I tell you, keep the commandments. Have you kept them? He says, yes, I've kept those. So then Jesus said to him, well, there's one further thing. Go and sell all you have, give it to the poor, and then come and follow me. In other words, have eternal life. And the rich young man went away sad, we are told, because he had great wealth and he could not do it. And Jesus mourned that rich young ruler, but he did not go after him. He didn't say, oh, I didn't mean it. He let him go. Finally, this isn't the only place Jesus says this kind of thing. This theme is found throughout his teaching. He repeats it in all sorts of ways all the time, parable after parable. What do you think the parable of the treasure in the field where the man goes and sells everything he has to gain the kingdom of heaven? What do you think that's talking about? The parable of the pearl of great price. The parable of the king who throws the wedding banquet and those who say, ah, oh, I've got this to do. I've got to watch out for this possession. I just bought this. They're gone. Preaching to crowds on an occasion like this in Luke 12, but I believe a different sermon, Jesus says, he actually says some of the things that he says here, but he adds to it this. He says, sell your possessions and give to charity. Make yourselves money belts which don't wear out, an unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near nor moth destroys. You hear the same words, but he also has said, sell and give to the poor. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's Luke 12. And lest we forget verse 24, the warning that follows in this passage that we're in this morning is very stark. There are probably few words of Jesus that are better known in the whole world than this. No man can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one and love the other or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon. And so what Jesus is calling us to do is actually and I believe quite literally, to give money away and by so doing, to store up treasure in heaven. Give and store. Give and store. Give our money, store up treasure in heaven. It's clear, isn't it? It's hard. 
It's clear. And yet I think many of us just put statements like these by Christ aside. And actually we end up taking the Roman Catholic view that the teaching of Christ in the Sermon on the Mount is quote unquote counsels of perfection. That what Jesus is teaching here is not for the average Christian. We can't be expected to do this. This is for great saints. For people like the missionaries to the Alcas or Mother Teresa or St. Francis of Assisi. Catholics have maintained an emphasis on these things and I honor them for it. Though I think they've done so wrongly in in a wrong way. But they have maintained it by saying that the religious, they call them the religious and the religious are the people who have what is known as a religious vocation. Priests, monks, nuns. The religious are expected to live this way in the Catholic Church. They are to take vows of poverty. They are to be single. And I think that, honestly, in the Protestant church today, in the evangelical church today, there's no place at all for this kind of life. But Jesus commends it. So how do we live as Jesus commands, storing up treasure in heaven rather than on earth? How do we serve God and not money? The answer, I believe, is found in these two seemingly obscure verses that lie between Jesus teaching about seeking treasure in heaven and his warning about serving God rather than money. In between those two sections of this passage, we come across this verse these verses that seem like they're out of place. It's like the thread of logic disappears and then reappears. And the place where it disappears is where he says, after saying, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that's in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Then immediately goes back to the money. He says, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other. He'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and money. It's easy to glide over these verses about the eye. It's easy to say, wow, what does that mean? Why are they there? We can't do that. These verses are vital to doing as Jesus says in the verses that surround it. What he says here in the middle of his teaching about storing up treasure in heaven rather than serving wealth, rather than making wealth our master here on earth, is an argument from the physical body. What he says is, your eyes, your eyes are the lamp of your body. A lamp lights the way. Our eyes light the way for our hands and our arms and our elbows and our stomachs and our Our knees and our feet, they are the light of our body. Our body would be dark if they didn't have the lamp of the eyes. If you don't have eyes, then the rest of your body is in darkness and it's in danger. Without eyes, you walk across the street and you don't see the truck and you get smacked by the truck. You fall into pits as you're walking without eyes because you're in darkness, your body's in darkness. You hit your head on steel girders. The body needs its eyes. They are its lamp. If your eyes are clear and work, your body is filled with light from the eyes and all these bad things that can happen when you don't have clear eyes don't happen. On the other hand, if your eyes are bad, then your body's full of darkness and it suffers because it doesn't have good eyes. 
Now the spiritual application of this physical truth is this. What are your eyes seeing? What are your eyes set upon? This is the point Jesus is making. And it's the only way to heed what he's saying here about money and treasure in heaven. We must set our eyes on light rather than darkness. Our physical eyes and our spiritual eyes have to be clear. We must see things as they are. We must see God as he is. We must see Satan as he is. We must see heaven and its reality. We must see hell. This is the point Jesus makes. You can't understand light by fixing your eyes on darkness. It's that simple. Fix your eyes on darkness and you'll never see the light. Many of you know Friedrich Nietzsche, the, the tragic nihilist, the German philosopher of the 1800s. He wrote maybe one good thing and that's this. He said, beware that when fighting monsters, you yourself do not become a monster. For when you gaze long into the abyss, the abyss gazes also into you. For when you gaze long into the darkness, the darkness gazes also into you. Is it not true that many of us who claim the name of Christ spend more of our time angry about darkness, thinking about darkness, fulminating against darkness than enjoying light? We are more convinced of the darkness of the darkness than we are of the glory of the light. Are we not strangely and inexplicably drawn to darkness? And do we not find ourselves spending time on darkness rather than enjoying light? In this past week, have you not spent more time looking at the news, reading about the latest statistics of the coronavirus, feeling the weight of this negative dark news than you have spent looking at the glory of the crocuses as they bud in your front yard? And yet, what does Jesus say? He says, consider the lilies when you're worried. Consider the flowers. Think about how your father cares for his creation. I want to close with a set of proposals which, if followed, I think will make the commands of Jesus in these verses about money and storing up wealth in heaven not only doable but lovable for you and me. And I begin with negative. Do not look at darkness. If you're going to be the kind of person who's described here, you have to stop looking at the darkness. What does this mean? Well, I'd say to you who are young, put aside the garbage that you look at. Put aside the video games. Put aside the, the movies, the Netflix shows. Put aside Instagram. Put it all aside. That's darkness. Don't you understand? That's a glorification of darkness. If you're older, <sighs> You may not want to hear it, but I say, stop listening to Fox News. All right. Really, I mean it. Stop listening to Fox News. It's darkness. It's gussied up, short-skirted darkness. Close your eyes to the darkness that's purveyed by Sean Hannity. 
by the conservative talk show host. Or it could be on the other side, stop reading the New York Times. Don't spend your time on the New Yorker magazine. And it's not just darkness on one side, it's on both sides of the, of the political spectrum. Don't spend your time there. In fact, take down your TV and cancel your cable subscription and, and cancel the New York Times all at the same time. All of us, watch the books you read, the movies you watch. Stop looking into the abyss. Don't look into the abyss. I was glad this past week when my son Ben challenged <laughs> my son Isaiah for watching that Netflix show on King of the Cats, is it? Uh, uh. Tiger King, that's right, Tiger King. Ben said, it's darkness. Look, it's all darkness. We don't need that. And that's true. It celebrates evil and depravity. Now, it may say, tisk tisk, evil, tisk tisk. But in reality, it's saying, lick your lips, lick your lips. There is a subset of media today that actually specializes in, in going directly contrary to what Jesus says in this passage by working greed in you, in me, by causing us to revel in darkness. It's, it is the media of, of, of glamor and desire and of greed. Bachelor and bachelorette shows the Kardashians, oh, the only purpose of that show is to, is to make you revel in darkness. People Magazine, influencers on Instagram, you can't spend your time there. You can't let these things into your, into your soul. You can't stare into this abyss and not have it stare back into you and begin to own you. Now, that's negative, but let me speak to you about positively. Look at light. Stop looking at darkness, look at the light. In these days that are filled with worry, read the Psalms. Read five Psalms a day. Read the word of God. Think about God and his goodness. Read it with an open and honest heart. Read it, not reading what you want into it, but listening to the voice of God as he speaks to you through his word. Look at the Bible, read it, revel in it. It's the word of God to you, and every word of it is true. Go for walks in nature. Pray to God as your father, through Christ your friend, as you walk through the glory of the nature that God is creator of. Consider nature more. Do you know how often the Bible speaks about nature and uses nature as a, as a spur to our worshiping God and knowing the goodness of God? I was in Wadi Rum in Jordan uh, a few weeks ago, and it's the desert. It's the desert that, where they filmed some of the Star Wars things. It's red, it's dry. And I took a picture from up on a hillside. You can see there's a hill here and a hill here. They're not really very high. And then there's a valley going down. And so I'm up and you can sort of see the valley descending and it's only a couple hundred feet high. But there out in the, the middle of the desert, in the middle of the sand, is this beautiful tree. And it's not just a tiny little scrub bush. It's actually a tree out there. And 
And what you realize is that there's a spring and there's water that gathers up the hillsides. It flows into the valley, it comes down, and then about 300 yards out, it hits this spot where this tree is, and that tree has grown there. It's the only tree in the, you can't see a tree anywhere. But there is a tree, and it's growing, and it's green, and it's beautiful because the water is coming down. So what does the Bible say? Well, it says that the, the person who lives before God is like a tree planted by water. A green tree in the midst of water. It says, consider the life that God's called you to. You will be like a tree planted by water if you listen to his word. Across the road from our house, there are eagles. I think they're eagles. I can't see them clearly, but they're huge, and there are two of them. And I'm pretty convinced they're bald eagles. They're beautiful. They fly. They're immense. The Bible says your youth will be renewed like the eagle. It tells you, think about the eagle. There are the tulips coming up in the yard and God's promises that if he so clothes the lilies of the field and the tulips of the yard, how much more will he clothe you? Clouds, look at the clouds and remember that the Bible says God makes the clouds his chariots. He rides on the clouds. Fire, look at a fire and realize that fire, the Bible tells us, goes before God, burning up his adversaries and he's made you as his minister a flame of fire think about this creation think about all God has done think about the glory of it finally two last things turn your eyes from darkness turn your eyes to light don't protect your earthly goods do you allow others to use your cars do you open your homes up or your home up to guests and groups you're willing to see your van pile up miles taking youth on church trips? Is the home that you live in scratched and dented because of kids being there, church youth groups? Praise God for this. Those are badges of honor. The military gives rewards to people who take risks for the sake of their nation. God rewards those who spend their earthly goods on heavenly things. Finally, give generously. No one is above giving, it's vital. People in our church are struggling. They may not say it, but they are. Others of us will not likely miss a paycheck despite the virus, despite the time off. And there are many of us who are in no need at this time who are going to be receiving an inheritance from our children in the form of a $1,200 check. A check from the future that we don't need. Cheryl and I have said, we're going to give that money away. We're going to give it to someone who needs it. We don't need that money. And I encourage you, if you don't need that money, give it to someone. Practice this passage. Give your money to those in need. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you.